Turning to John 12 uh, in a moment and um, reading from there. Let's pray that God will speak to us through his spirit. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the opportunity to look at this account of what you've done. And Father God, we thank you that we have in our possession the words of John, who is showing us who Jesus is. And we pray by your spirit that we might learn from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read... Uh... saga good versus evil hope in someone to come and restore hope of avoiding a catastrophe and total destruction hope of a new and better era does that sound like a hope for today hope looks for something good hope looks for something better what was the hope of those waving palm branches to welcome jesus I think a clue can be found in this word, Hosanna. Hosanna, perhaps a word as closely associated with Palm Sunday than even Palm or Sunday. But what does it actually mean, Hosanna? You probably don't use it that much except in church, when singing, and on Palm Sunday. It's a kind of weird word for us, Hosanna. But it is actually a cry that encapsulates the triumphal entry that we've just read about in John 12. It's in one sense a desperate plea. But in another sense it's a mark of recognition, of praise and elevation. I have to admit to preferring numbers really, and many of you will know about that. But sometimes it is important to look at a word And there's much meaning in this one, because Hosanna in the original usage means save or rescue, we pray. So originally it's a cry for help, it's an appeal for deliverance. It then later comes to mean, praise God and his Messiah, we are saved. And this is fulfilled then in Jesus. It's not unusual for words to change meaning over time. We, we are conscious of that. But this is a bit different. It changes because of Jesus. It changes because Jesus answers the prayer. It changes because Jesus fulfills the hope. I'm going to read a, um, a few passages from the Old Testament. So if you'll bear with me in that, uh, I won't ask you to turn to them all. Um, The first one is from Psalm 118. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord we bless you. The Lord is God. And he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God and I will praise you. 
You are my God and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Here it is. This is the prayer. Verse 25, that cry, Hosanna, in Hebrew means, O Lord, save us. And you'll hear there as well, the branches make an appearance, as does the procession. Turning over to Zephaniah, Zephaniah 3, verse 14. Sing, daughter Zion, shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your punishment. He's turned back your enemy. The Lord is the king of Israel. He's with you. Never again will you fear harm. On that day they will say to Jerusalem, Do not fear, Zion. Do not let your hands hang limp. The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. So there's talk of saving here too, saving from enemies, saving from oppressors, saving from punishment. And there's singing too. One more, Zechariah 9, and from verse 8. But I will encamp at my temple to guard it against marauding forces. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people, for now I am keeping watch. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. More talk of rescue, saving from oppressors, shouting, praising, and peace. There's even a donkey in that one. So between these three Old Testament passages, we actually have the full picture of the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. More importantly, I think, it gives us some idea of the sort of thing that people were expecting the sort of king, the sort of messiah, the sort of saviour. We're told by John that the disciples did not have these Old Testament passages in mind until after. So I think it's fair to think that the crowd of people didn't have these in mind either. But they were gathering in Jerusalem for Passover. This was a big one. It's like our Christmas or Easter. Jerusalem would definitely have had congestion issues. So great were the number of visitors to Jerusalem. And they were gathering to celebrate the release from Egypt. They were gathering to celebrate God saving them, rescuing them from the tyranny of Pharaoh over a thousand years earlier. So thoughts of rescue and being saved 
would definitely have been at the forefront of their minds. So what were they hoping for? If we were a member of that crowd or even a disciple, what would we expect? The Messiah was expected to save. The Messiah was expected to be a great king. So great, he could end war and bring peace and prosperity. So in the context of a Roman occupation, the role of a Messiah was obvious. Free the people from the Roman oppression. Set free and unite the nation of Israel and rule with a power greater than the Roman army and bring about peace. Those a bit more spiritual may have hoped that he would also restore the whole nation back to being a nation of worship. So would Jesus do it? Would he defy the Roman authorities and the religious leaders and come to Jerusalem? That was the big question of Passover 33 AD. Is Jesus coming? Would he dare to come? Because everyone knew he was a wanted man. Look back at chapter 11 and verse 57 and you'll see that. The people knew he had raised Lazarus from the dead. They knew what Jesus was capable of. Why should he fear anyone? If he has power over life and death, if he did come, surely that would mean he was going to take power and become king. Yes, that was obvious. And Jesus, well, he seems to be up for it this time. There's been at least one occasion where he's dodged being crowned king, but now he says it's the right time. Jesus is making a bold appearance in the face of opposition. The crowd are getting behind him, realizing his power, and recognize him as the Messiah. Now is the time. This is history in the making. Prophecies are being fulfilled. The Jewish nation's most eagerly awaited event is happening now. Now is the time. I'm going to show you another clip. The clips are actually about 40 years apart in the making, but they're actually one sequence if you play them in time. So, Bill, if we can have that. Perhaps the most um, hopeless of all characters in Star Wars is the droid C-3PO. He always tells it as it is, and it's usually bad. And here we are, the princess was saying there's hope. But then straight after, there's no escape, there's no hope. It looks bad. And if we think of our biblical account, We only need to look forward a few days, less than a week. Jesus is dead. The disciples are scattered. The crowd has moved on. The religious leaders are content. Their laws and customs are safe. The Romans have quelled the possibility of another rebellion. 
and the hopes of anyone who thought this was the Messiah are dashed. Their hopes lie in ruins. Only a tomb and a body is left. Their hopes for themselves were the prominent hopes. Jesus just wasn't the Messiah. He didn't do it. He didn't rescue or save. And anyone left with some hope might be saying, well, there must be someone else still to come. He wasn't the one. Is there a hope when hope is taken away? Is there hope when the situation is hopeless? That question leads us, I think, to Christian hope. For in the Bible, hope is not a passion for the possible. It is a passion for the promise. Where are all my hopes pinned? Are they centered around other people, circumstances, events? Maybe they are in Jesus. What then when he does not do as I expect or desire or think sensible or right? My hopes must be in Jesus and in his saving power. Not when he will do it. Not how he will do it. Not what I understand from prophecy or scripture. Not interpreted within the specific time in history where I appear. Not a hope generated by a crowd or social media campaign wanting something in particular. Not a hope dependent on my hard work. Not a hope dependent on favorable circumstances. Just a hope in Jesus himself, his love, his power, his timing. His way, not my way. And Jesus' way was to suffer, to give of himself, to take the punishment of those who were his enemies, those who were set against him. Jesus' way was to spend himself completely and utterly on the needs of others, and in particular those who were not perfect in God's sight, those who had fallen short of God's standard, and even those who had completely rejected him. It was for rejecters, enemies, and the don't cares that Jesus left the glory of heaven, spent years serving those around him, and finally gave his life in full payment of their debt to God. Making the way clear for anyone who chose to trust in him to have the full rescue deal. Not just being saved from death, but having an eternal and restored relationship with God from that point on. Now that is an offer of grace worth putting full hope in. Jesus has done everything. I just have to accept his way, not my way. And that may not be easy. Follow a successful king, share in his successes. That sounds good. Follow a suffering king, share in his sufferings. 
Last Sunday at our stay day, we heard if there is difficulty, struggle, fear, suffering, suspect that God is involved. Who in the crowd at Passover 33 AD wanted to follow in the sufferings of Jesus? Well, as it turned out, a few did. And you can read on through the rest of John and into Acts to see what happens, how their hopes were fulfilled. What about you and I? Where are our hopes placed? There's much in the world today, I think, that seems hopeless. War, poverty, questionable leadership, terrorism, abuse of power. Can earthly powers sort all this out? Will people rise against all the imperfections and wrong and evil and injustice and sort out the problems of the world? The Bible is really clear on this. It's a big no. People won't be able to sort this out. We're part of the problem. It is actually us who fall short of God's perfection. We can't sort this out. We actually have to cry, Hosanna, Lord, save us, we pray. For me, there is a challenge in this passage. Yes, Jesus is king for many in that instant of processions and adulation. But what about when things don't turn out as I expect? What then? Can I accept Jesus' message of enduring suffering, hardship and trouble? John writes his gospel that we might believe in Jesus, believe and be saved, believe and have a sure hope. So he gives us the message straight. It's not going to be easy. It will be tough. But there's no other to hope in. Jesus died intentionally. He said this was going to happen. Of course, that doesn't prove it was a good thing. But as we look and see the parallels between the Passover lamb, whose blood was put over the door, to save those inside, and Jesus who shed his blood to save us. We can see he has the power, the authority, and the desire to save us from sin. He's God. We also have that advantage of knowing that Jesus is raised to life himself, as well as being able to raise others like Lazarus. So hope in God is well-founded. As we look to Jesus then, is it with indifference as those in Jerusalem who did not show up or were too busy with other things? Is it with a view to seeing our immediate desires met like the crowd? Is it with contempt or frustration or envy as we have a better way, like the religious leaders? Is it with opposition, concern or anger as Jesus may upset the established way of rule 
like the Roman authorities? Or is it, even in the face of troubles, with a Hosanna, save us, we pray. We know we fall short of God's standard. We miss the mark. We sin. Yet, our Saviour rides in to take our place, to take our punishment, to die our death, to redeem our lives. Our hope for the future is in him, only him. Have you placed your hope in Jesus? If not, where is it placed? And is that a sure and certain hope? I'd like to finish with a very short reading. Uh, Recently, Suzanne gave out um, these to all the uh, parents of uh, children in the church, together with God. And um, one of the resources that I picked up from this was called the New City Catechism. Um, it looks excellent, but uh, it's a series of questions and answers that are good for um, teaching and learning. And so I will leave you with this first one. What is our only hope in life and death. That we are not our own, but belong, body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Hosanna. Hosanna.